Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to the Modernize or Die podcast, CFML News Edition. And for the first time ever, when I've said that, Brad, it's actually correct because we did the whole intro and we weren't even live. So sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> we are now live. <laughs> it reminds me of a play, I think, called Greater Tuna, where these two guys do an entire radio broadcast. And then the phone rings and somebody says, you haven't turned the transponder on. And like nobody could hear it the entire time. So our yep. previous intro was, oh, it was fantastic. We just didn't click the button. Yep. And I thought I clicked the button a long time ago. But anyway, so uh, uh, for those who don't know, I'm Gavin Tekken, software consultant for Order Solutions. And another software consultant for Order Solutions is the Brad Wood. So how are you the doing, Brad? Brad? Wood. The... I'm just happy to be here, Gavin. Just trying to be a blessing. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks to our sponsor, Order Solutions. Uh, they're the makers of Coldbox, Commandbox, Forgebox, Testbox, and almost every other box out there except for box.com. Uh, Legal reasons. Box. Oh, and Fusebox. You always forget about that one. But yeah. Legal uh, reasons prevent us from infringing on box.com's trademarks. Yes. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so thanks for, to Autos making this podcast possible. And a few ways you can say thanks back to Auto Solutions if you want is to like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And by doing that, you'll also get updates when we go live. And when we really go live, you'll see it. Um, <laughs> as opposed to the fake go lives that we do just for ourselves yep and then uh, also we have cfcast which we'll talk about later but we have free and paid content available in cfcast which is uh, great video content released every week and then we also have our book from uh, luis mahano called 102 cold box hmvc quick tips and tricks on gum roads the only thing not quick about it is the title <laughs> anyways but we also have to thank our patreon supporters because uh, we have 37 amazing people that are providing 84 percent of the funding for this podcast so uh it's been a, a long way 103 episodes in but it's, it's kind of nice that you guys are out there supporting us and you can find out more information on our patreon packages at patreon.com slash order solutions we'll tell you about some of the perks at the end when we thank all of our patrons individually because they're awesome so Okay, so news and events. Brad, first up, we have Adobe's Cold Fusion Projects page. I haven't even up. seen this. And Jeez. that's what I was going to ask you if you'd seen when it. did this happen? It happened in the last week. There was a, a couple of things that popped up, and I'm going to share my screen for anyone uh, watching on YouTube. And so the Examples to help them get started quicker in their projects. Yeah, so there's five projects right now. Um, so basically, Cold Fusion and JavaScript Framework, a cloud library showcase app, the Cold Fusion Dam, which is the part of the document access. And then they got building REST APIs and Cold Fusion Excel. So these are like little starter projects for people to, to sort of play with. The blog post has a little more information on it. The dam so is what that, are these? Like just a zip file you download that has code in it, or like what Yeah, what basically there was an issue with the permissions on the JavaScript frameworks one. Um, but yeah, basically they're just little starter projects and um yeah, so Keyshore said if you want to add anything else to this page, let him know. So I think it's a good opportunity for some members of the community to sort of get some skeleton frameworks up there. Can I make a suggestion? Go for it. Do anything you want. Use command box. 
Like seriously, why weren't these just Forge Box packages? Like, why does this exist? That's why I thought you like have some things to say, Kishore. Why weren't these just Forge Box packages? We could have created a package type for Adobe if they wanted. Though we already have one called Projects. It's been there for years, and I mean, you could install it already with the install command, or you could tie it in. We could make a similar scaffolding to Coldbox Crate App, which really Coldbox Crate App when you run it, it literally just downloads a project from ForgeBox and unzips it into a folder, which is basically what these are. And they could have packaged these, so much missed potential. They could have packaged these with like a server.json, a cfconfig.json. So these would all just be like, run the scaffolding command, run server.start, everything but all. But no, this, these are basically like blog posts with a link to a zip file. Yeah, they do require you to log into the portal to be able to download it and stuff. So maybe that was another reason Ugh. they wanted people to make sure they had an account and log in. But anyway, it's, it's a you know good, we need good to idea. Do, Gavin? We, need to, we need to create a generic version of Coldbox Crate App, which is really just a wrapper around an install command. This is all it does. Yep. We need to create a generic scaffolding thing that can be pointed to any slug and forge box of this pipe project, which has been around for years. And then start just pushing people to create projects and put them on ForgeBox, and then they can just run the, the, the scaffolding command to install them. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard to do, like you said, because essentially that's what we do for all our Coldbox stuff right now. Yeah, because when you run Coldbox Create App, we literally just run an install command behind the scenes that just installs one of, like, you know, 10 different, like, pre-built, you know, projects, which are just packages on ForgeBox. So we should just um, create an they- alias that basically makes it look prettier than using Coldbox Create App and just does it. Well- I'm actually curious how much in the Coldbox Crate app command, the scaffolding command and command box is actually specific to Coldbox. Probably it takes nothing the at name, all. The name, which just goes in the box.json. It takes the skeleton, which is this, the slug of the package you want to install, which could literally be any slug in Forgebox. It takes the directory you want to create it in, defaults to the current directory. Um, and a net command to create a box.json, totally generic. It has a wizard flag. But all that does is I think it just asks you a few questions. Yeah. Um, so you can probably build a slum version of it or an alias of it. Oh, if you if you write Coldbox Crate App dash dash wizard, it just asks you what's the name of the app, what's the skeleton you want to install, what mm-hmm. do you want to install it in. It literally just asks you for the first first three required params. Or you could run Coldbox Create my name, my skeleton. Um, yeah, there's really nothing Coldbox specific in the Coldbox Create App command, which is ironic. So what you should um, really do is make the Coldbox Create App an alias to the Coldbox install package or install project or something. <laughs> you know, we had, so here's the thing. When Command Box first came out, um, servers were like an afterthought. They're like, yeah, we'll do the server thing, but we'll figure that out later. Um, we originally were looking at, at some of the NPM tools like Yeoman um, and, and Grunt and, uh, not, yeah, Grunt and Gulp and Bauer and some of that stuff. But Yeoman specifically, Luis and I had looked at, and there were several at the time, um, like scaffolding commands built on top of Yeoman. They were all about the basic concept of, I want to scaffold out a project based on some template, download a bunch of crap and throw it in the working directory. Um, and when we created the Coldbox Create App command, we'd actually talked about, should we be creating this more generically, you know, or should we just create something that's just for Coldbox? Um, and at the time, we had just gone with Coldbox Crate App as opposed to just some generic scaffold app type command. And I think we had told ourselves we'd come back and revisit it and decide if we should make it more extensible. And we'd basically never really touched it. So it's just on the same thing. Yeah. Um, but just random bit of history on that. Um, yeah, I kind of want to just make an alias for this called just like Crate App. And you just be like, you know, Crate App and just point to it on Forgebox. 
Sure. And then, then watch this. Uh, well, I can't do it because their folder structure is nonsense. I could create a custom code important command box that would download the zips from the community portal so we could cross post them. But their their zip file structure is just random. They've got like a source code folder and then folders inside of that. Ugh. Mm. Without com without conventions, it's difficult to do anything with a package manager, which is why Forgebox pushes at least like basic conventions and stuff. Anyway, that's enough of completely hijacking that announcement. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that, everybody. But long story short, they have I'm a project page. I, I'm not even a bit sorry. <laughs> <laughs> long story short, though, there there is a Cold Fusion projects page. And if you email Keyshore, he can add additional projects to that. Um, and Or just uh, sign up for Forgebox, push your projects there. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it's free and easy, and you don't need to sign in to download So maybe you should just email uh, Keyshore a link to this episode, Brad, and then <laughs> we'll go from there. <laughs> Okay. Well, in case you missed it, uh, the VS Code release party for, um, I think, April's released. Uh, I, yeah, I think it was April's. The The description on the video was wrong. But anyway, they had the release party today at 8 a.m., um, so you guys missed it. But it's available up on Microsoft.com, and so we have the link here, which we'll share. I saw you talking about it, but I did not watch it. Did you watch it? Yeah, I did actually watch some of it. I, I saw um, a couple of the cool console features that look pretty cool. Um, they have um, more basically native console support and they actually keep track of what the console is doing, have little icons depending on its status and everything. Um, so a little more control there. And then another thing that I saw um, was the remote hub, which was to link up to GitHub. And so basically you can just point uh, VS Code at a repo and a branch and you can just edit that branch like locally but you could have the same repo open in multiple different branches on the, on your machine because it doesn't like does a full clone and everything. It basically is sort of like a virtual editor. So just like the web IDE that you would do using GitHub, but it's VS Code. So you make all your change when you're done, you commit it back to the repo. So it doesn't live on your on your site. You can't do all, all the same interactive debugging. There are some limitations, but it's kind of nice to be able to jump into a different branch just to do something with VS Code instead of trying to use the web IDE editor, you know, and some of those uh, some of those things. So those are the two things I saw. I did miss the first part of it because I forgot it was on. And I was busy doing uh, doing the prep for the this, and I was like, oh, whoops. So I watched a little <laughs> bit as I was doing it. But uh, they do have a meetup group too. Um, so the meetup group I'll share as well. So if you guys want to join the meetup, then you can tell when they're going on and everything. But they usually, every month they have um, at least, they have basically a monthly recap of what was released the previous month and what they're working on the current one. So that's pretty cool. I, I do get a kick out of watching them. And there's all sorts of cool stuff coming our way. So anyway, so, so that was that. So VS Code release party was today. You missed it, but uh, you can still watch the video. And then we got a couple of reminders for people too. So Command Box 5.3.0 was released last week. And you've it already is, got a point one coming soon, right? Yes, I do have a three a 5.3.1 patch release. Um, if you check out the, the blog post that we have, I have a whole overview of all of the features. There's quite a few. But there is a, there's a small breaking change that shouldn't affect... Um, anybody outside of some edge cases, there is um, a regression that was found on uh, how web aliases um, uh, resolve um, relative paths. And uh, we also found after release an incompatibility, if you have an old version of the .env module installed, um, you'll upgrade and you'll get an error when it tries to load. Mm. Um, the fix for that is just to manually delete that .env module and reinstall the latest version. 
and it'll work fine. Um, I actually, in the 5.3.1 release, I have a little, I don't really care for it, but I have a little monkey patch put in place that will allow the old .env module, .env module to work just since it's bitten about four or five people that had it. Because um, what happens is uh, people installed .env when it was in the 1.x series. So like, you know, so 1.9 was the last version of .env. So the 2.x versions of .env works fine. But what happens is, people get stuck on that 1x version because command box won't automatically update to another major version. You have to explicitly you know, tell command box, hey, I'd like you to install the latest version. Um, so there's a fair amount of people that it turns out were still on 1.9 and it wasn't gonna auto upgrade and they just didn't realize it, which is why we have the new outdated command in command box 5.3 that gives you a nice table and it shows you the current version you have installed any update that's available that matches your semantic version range. And then it has another new column that says, hey, there's a new major version available, which you're not gonna get automatically, but over here, look at me, you might wanna go with an update to this. Um, like that. And that's that's to help people you know, prevent from getting stuck behind a major version and not realizing it. Because those, those default version numbers are gonna be a caret range. If you look in your box.json, you'll see like, you know, caret 1.9. And that basically means any minor patch upgrades are totally fine. Just bring them on in, but a major upgrade command box won't do. And that's how NPM works. That's how all the package managers work. Um, so, so the onus is on people to keep those major upgrades under control. Yeah. So in other words, the carrot for the one point, whatever means anything in the one point X will update automatically, but anything two or higher will not upgrade without you specifically saying, Hey, give me version two. Mostly what you technically just described is a tilde range. Uh, the carrot range is a slight modification of what you said that allows for people that do 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, oh, yeah, and they fair. treat those. So, yeah, the carrot has that stupid little caveat for people with a zero major number, but yeah, um, I only know one. one package that does that. Yeah, so I have 17 tickets um, already slated for command box 531, um, a handful wow. of little fixes, and already a handful of uh, new features and improvements that have been flying in. Uh, I've updated a bunch of the Java libraries. I, I updated the Bleeding Edge of Command Box to the Lucy 538 RC3 with hopes that Lucy 538, after like 11 billion years of waiting, might actually release. Um, I, I don't know where that's at, because every time I turn around, there's another regression they're trying to chase down. Um, if Lucy 538 doesn't finally turn stable in the next few days, um, I'll probably have to just go back to 5.3.7 again because I don't like to release a, a snapshot Lucy build inside the CLI, even though I've been using 5.3.8 for a long time and it's pretty stable. But anyway, we'll yeah. see. I, I, I really wanted 5.3.8 in the command box 5.3 release, but I can't wait forever yeah. <laughs> for, it to, for it to release. So anyway, read the yeah. blog post. Um, if you haven't on the 5.3 release, there's a bunch of junk in there. And... Um, Anyway, yeah, the five through one release really. I have I have a pull request that I need to merge for that from Scott Steinbeck with some little fixes and tweaks we've been doing to the um, the table printer, but outside of that, I'm trying to get that out since it has some regressions fixed in it. Cool. Okay, sounds good. And then another, in case you missed it, uh, May first, bin trade closed down. So basically, all of the Adobe Docker images that were available there are all gone. Um, so if you didn't hear that, 
that's what's happened. So um, basically, they're not available anymore through that. You can go to the ColdFusion downloads page and download them, but you'll have to download a tar file and basically, you know, do all sorts of other steps. There's just some links for that. So if you're using their Docker images, um, we still haven't heard what they're going to do with them and where they're going to put them. So right now, it's a manual tar file process. So uh, they they have said that they are working to fix it, whatever that means. So it does sound like this download a tar manually is not their final solution. Oh yeah, I didn't think it would be. Well, yeah. you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I mean, the blog post that talked about it didn't say, here's an interim solution. It just said, this is how you do it now. And everyone's like, uh, what? Um, so yeah, there was a comment, ironically, not on the official community portal, but on one of the Facebook posts, one of the Cold Fusion uh, team members posted saying that they were aware of it and they were working on, on a long-term fix. I, I have a feeling this probably boils down to some nonsense in their legal department giving them flack about finally getting on Docker Hub or something, but we'll see Yep, what they I'm do. Sure. Okay, so some webinars coming up here. We got a Fusion Reactor webinar coming up May 12th, so that's tomorrow. It's 5 p.m. Amsterdam time, which I believe is 8 a.m. Pacific or 10 a.m. Uh, Central time. So uh, it's called Reach for the Clouds with Fusion Reactor. So basically going through the differences between cloud-based and uh, local install and, and how it works. So that's a cool little webinar. We love Fusion Reactor. You should definitely go check it out if you haven't um, upgraded to the cloud stuff. It's definitely cool when you're working with Docker stuff. It's much easier to deal with. So I got a couple more reminders here. Adobe Cold Fusion certification, the price dropped from 500 to 149 uh, so lots of great content in there, 50 plus videos in that train, uh, as far as the training goes, as well as a certification and a cool little badge. If you get certified to put on their site, um, but back to webinars. So, uh, Luis Mahano did his webinar last week. Um, we're still waiting for the recording to be posted from Adobe. Um, but he said it was a good session and a lot of great content. He's been working hard. He's done several webinars every week lately, it seems like for content box and every week he's got a whole bunch of new stuff that he's done with, uh, with that. So, uh, it's gone on pretty nicely. So, uh, hopefully the, that all works, but I know he had some issues recording locally in zoom, but I'm hoping we still get the recording out of it. So I guess we'll see. Otherwise he'll have to just do it again. So. All right, sorry, I zoned out for a bit. Paulina, our marketing expert here at Ordis, had just messaged me. There was a, a conversation on CFML Slack earlier, and somebody said something like, you know, much rejoicing, and they screenshotted the command box saying server is up. And I said, we need to we need to get some Box Life t-shirts that have, like, the command box logo and say server is up. <laughs> and uh, Paulina's actually working on making one of those, which looks completely cool. So, like, server picture, and it says server is up, command box. I, I really hope they actually put that in the store because that's going to be awesome. <laughs> cool, cool. So um, new, new box stuff coming soon. I know. So while I was completely paying attention to Slack, I saw Daniel uh, put a question here in the chat asking about Forgebox slugs. Does that need to be answered still? Yeah, you can answer that. Um, so Daniel asked if a Forgebox slug can be um, at username slash package name. Um, the answer is yes and no. Um, we... We do support, so that's basically how NPM does it, um, is they have at username slash package name, and it actually turns into an extra folder that it puts it in. Um, we have something similar, but we do it slightly different. Um, it's the, the package name at 
uh, ForgeBox user. So there's no slash in it. We don't bury it an extra level deep. Um, and that's for private packages. So um, I'll put a link here to private packages into the chat um, that shows how those work. So if you create private packages and put them on ForgeBox, then it's going to be whatever the slug is at whatever your username is. Um, and the name of the folder it installs to just matches that. Uh, and of course, uh, if it's a, a private package, you would have to be logged in to be able to do that. Hopefully that answers your question, Daniel. Cool. Okay. So on top of that, we also have Adobe's API series, which is still ongoing. Um, they're, they're posting the videos as we go. So if you did miss one of the videos, don't worry, because they are adding them all in there. And so far, I think we've had, let's see, the 12th and the 13th. So tomorrow and um, Thursday of the next two, and there'll be one more on the 25th, 24th of May. So we're getting our way through it. So it'll be the fourth and fifth one, no, fifth and sixth one this week. So there's four videos already, should be already up on the website. Um, but yeah, Brian Sappy's doing a great job with that there. And so if you're wanting to learn more about building APIs, uh, API creation and management, that series is, uh, really good so i'm going to share those links here in the chat as well and then next up i thought maybe you want to talk about this one brad so if someone's wanting to know more about that command box 5.3 stuff uh you're doing the oldest webinar for me right and you're going to cover all sorts of stuff uh that's what they tell me so i'm putting this chicken into command box here to make that generic scaffolding command we were talking about earlier <laughs> i don't want to forget about it um yeah so our webinar is going to be um what's new in um command box 5.3 and uh that's a slightly a lie because it's actually going to be it's going to include everything new in 5.2 and 5.1 as well um the last uh the last webinar i did was what's new in 5.0 and so it was basically three uh dot releases full of features that have happened since then and so i have like 17 screencasts written up that i want to do and uh the webinar will be kind of just a condensed version of all the kind of high level new stuffs since the the 5.0 thing so that's cool yeah because there's different that's a lot coming of stuff. up soon yeah very cool so that's going to be may 21st uh 11 a.m central time and that is on a friday so uh you can register now at um through zoom and you can go to the orders webinar page if you want to find out more about our upcoming webinars or the previous ones too and they can be found on cfcast which <laughs> is a good segue because now we're going Speaking to talk about CFCast. So we have uh, a few more videos released this week in the object-oriented programming with Nolan Irk series. And so the newest ones there is constructors and pseudo-constructors, object properties, accessors and visibility types, methods, definitions, scopes, public versus private versus protected, package versus static versus remote. <laughs> so in other words, if you don't understand any of what I just said, those videos would be perfect for you. So, so uh, he's got um, three videos that went live this week. We have three more coming up this week. So we have um, releasing should be tomorrow. So vast scoping, static properties and methods, and encapsulation and cohesion. And don't forget, uh, if you don't have a paid subscription, you can't watch all of these videos from the series. But the first four videos in the series that we released last week, uh, or actually the week before because these ones just went live this week so the first four videos are free so as long as you have a, a login to cfcast doesn't have to be paid you can log in and see those first four videos and then if you like them and you want to see the rest of the series then you can get a subscription and watch all of our great content sounds like a bit you're a bit of a drug dealer there gavin the first four are free mm -hmm. we've we've gateway, laced gateway the videos. first four 
<laughs> yeah, we've laced the first four videos with subtle backtracking messaging. That's like sign up for CF Cast, and you'll have this just irresistible urge. Yeah, it'll be well, great. You'll see. Yeah, well, Nolan's a great teacher. This is this looks to be a great series. So uh, I need a, a little recap on some of my OO skills. I'm sure. So. But uh, if that's not enough for you guys, we have more coming soon. But from, wait, there's more. Yeah, we got more Command Box Zero to Hero, so the last uh, chunk of videos for that series will be coming up there soon. And we have um, what's new with Cold Box 6 coming up. Uh, I know you're working on the Command Box 5.0, what's new with Command Box 5 series. We've got up and coming, up and running with Quick. We've got Logs Box 101 and using Docbox. So we've got lots of great things planned. Videos are being made for a lot of them right now. So you'll be seeing those start to, to come out here as soon as well. So cfcast.com. I see again, free account uh, will get you access to a lot of these videos. And then a paid subscription will give you access to all of these videos. So. Boom. Boom. There we go. All right. Dunskis. Okay. So the big news in conferences and trainings is the Adobe Cold Fusion Developer Week. So that's June 22nd to the 24th, and it's going to be online. Um, so they're, I know they're getting the speaker list together right now. Um, they have uh, last year's speaker list up on the site, but we should be seeing some new ones coming up very soon. Uh, you can register for free right now. And they're hoping to get over 3,000 attendees. I know last year they had about 3,000 attendees as well. So uh, that's the goal. So I know that they have a lot of good content. Uh, three days as well. So that's going to be quite a lot of content from them. Uh, kind of curious what there's going to be out there. So definitely go check that out. So chat has the, the link in the show notes as well. And we'll go from there. And I haven't heard anything about CF Summit yet, though, Brad. Have you? No sneak peeks or hints or anything yet? I have heard nothing. I did hear so. something about Adobe's travel policy in, in the, you know, sort of sneaky, sneaky from Twitter. Oh, really? Saying that basically they're not allowed to travel in 2021 just for safety Ugh. reasons. So if, if there is a CF Summit later in the year, I'm assuming it will not be in person just for their... And that would be very difficult. I know with the the team over in India has been dealing a lot with, with COVID recently. Yeah. So it's terrible. In I'm not India right now. So yeah, it is. So I'm, I'm not one bit surprised if travel is nowhere on their radar. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if you want to get a taste of uh, the cold fusion conference, uh, it looks like the developer week is going on now. And I'm sure that CF summit will probably be announced online uh, later in the year, probably in the October, November, like it has been the last few years. So, Okay. So speaking of the the Cold Fusion Developer Week, uh, I don't. Oh, maybe you had this tweet down below. I may be stealing your thunder. I was gonna like I saw a reply to it that popped up on Twitter. Ray Camden uh, tweeted earlier saying that he's going to be speaking at it, which is pretty cool. And um, Sammy Hoda even said uh, replied saying he's expecting to join. Um, so anyway, no, some I, cool conversations today. They must have happened right after I finished the notes. So yeah, so uh, I, I one think- of these. One of these tweets just came in like two minutes ago. So you guys are getting like a live Twitter stream right now on the podcast. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So like I said, the, the speakers are being emailed right now, it seems like, and uh, they should be having more information on the speakers and their content in the next week or two, for sure. So we'll keep you up to date as we go, but uh, bookmark that June 22nd to 24th. We also have uh, something this week. So we have AWS Summit Online Americas this week. So that's going to be May 12th and 13th. So tomorrow and Thursday for all of those watching live. 
uh, it's going to be online and free and um, it's a great it's a great conference of being to it in person they have just tons and tons and tons of content from beginners to expert and lots of uh, white papers and use cases and user stories so uh, great content go check that out uh, I'll share the link in the chat for that and then next up Google I.O. Um, so Brad have you actually seen any of the content from the Google I.O. before? No I haven't but I hear that it's online and free for everyone. Yeah, it does sound like it. Yeah, I know that uh, a lot of their services are obviously going to be spotlighted there. So if you guys are using any of the Google stuff, uh, that'll definitely it's hilarious. Be I totally, I totally assume that their domain name would be Google.io, but it's not. Is it Google.com? <laughs> yep, Google.com. Come on, Google, you've let me down. So what does Google.io go to? Anywhere? I don't know. It's actually events.google.com, which is probably a generic you know, subdomain these for everything. Google.io goes to nothing. Oh, it, man. It appears that it's registered, but it returns a 404, so it's not in use. Gotcha. What okay. if I search Google the site colon Google.io to see if there's anything indexed on that domain? No. No. Nope. The, the domain is not in use. Yep. Okay. So that's going to be May 18th to 20th. So that's uh, next week. And then the week after, we have um, MS Build. So Microsoft Build, Learn, Connect, and Code, May 25th to the 27th. Explore what's in uh, what's next in tech and the future of the hybrid work. So a Are lot sure of this it's stuff, not Ms. Build, which is probably clearly Mr. Build's wife? I think that's inappropriate. Wait, no. Ms. wouldn't be married. Dang it. It says <laughs> MS Build. And I don't know. Yeah. Ms. Build. So if you go to Microsoft.com slash mybuild.microsoft.com, slash home you'll find out more about it um but they got a lot of good stuff obviously uh microsoft build or microsoft now owns a lot of things so mm -hmm. a, a lot of things that you're using and as a developer you're probably like i can't believe i'm using so much microsoft products a lot of people using teams a lot of people using github right uh, <laughs> and then obviously uh, vs code microsoft product too so a lot of good stuff out there if you go to build.microsoft.com it redirects to mybuild.microsoft.com why 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 do they make us type the extra two characters? they don't they're redirect to make it easy for you it's not the link you have in the show notes oh, i have my build don't i but you see there's some uh pretty big names on here uh, i know a lot of people listen to the scott hanselman uh podcast and and everything but a lot of good stuff coming from Microsoft these days. So a lot of good content. It's not just .NET developer stuff. So those of you who are thinking that, I challenge you to check out some of the content there as well. And next up, we have DockerCon. Um, that's going to be May 27th. Be free online virtual event. And again, they have a lot of great content. Um, I like the way that they, they do it, where they split up a, a lot of the different channels. So they have beginner and i don't know what kubernetes is to expert stuff where you have to be a ninja to understand anything they're saying so uh, they have a good range of content there something for everybody and yeah like brad said last time i think we only had one swarm one swarm uh session so hopefully there's yeah. a little more there we're hoping swarm lives on because we like it way better than kubernetes but we might be biased we are biased yeah, I went to the agenda thing and searched. Yeah, still only one swarm talk there. Uh, it happens, but as long as it's still alive, that's all that matters. 
And then uh, we have another one. So in June, we have Apple WWDC 21. So glow and behold. So Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference is going to be online June 7th through 11th. So uh, a lot of interesting things happening there. So looking at Apple platforms, tools, and technologies. Um, and they also have a Swift Student Challenge, apparently. So I don't know. Uh, too much about that yet they say stay tuned for details so if you want to find out more about that you can go to the developer.apple.com slash wwdc21 okay so with that a truly sad announcement is what were you doing one year ago today brad i believe i was at into the box gavin yeah into well, the box physically at but doing our virtual into the box yeah so last year this time we had into the box unfortunately uh we pushed it back a little bit this year to to september and uh, we planned that originally hoping that maybe we'd be able to travel we still don't know yet so probably looking at an online one but we're we're blocked in for september so if we're doing it online we're going to be doing the developer week style and we're doing the call for speakers here pretty soon i keep saying that every week but and i really do mean it. it should be soon here so <laughs> and a, a lot of people still holding out for in person and so we even put a poll out on twitter the other week about what's everybody's preference um if i was you actually going to go check the poll do you do you know what the uh i don't know what the link were? is no i know a lot of people preferred to go in person but some said preferred online but we weren't sure if that meant well they would go in person if they could go um but anyway so we're just trying to find out more information because things are opening up like even california which is locked down crazy sometimes uh, apparently june 15th everything's back to normal we're pretending nothing happened so uh, you know never know but well here we go i found the the poll finally and for those of you had poll. had uh air fears for into the box last year most of the companies have extended them out through march 2022 but if you did have air fears better check and make sure that they're being extended again so you can use the, the flight credit somewhere um, so but Luis's Luis's poll said if into the box 2021 conference was in person in houston in, in september would you attend 45.8 percent of people said yes 8.3 percent of people said no and then 45.8 percent of people said prefer virtual so it's sort of split half and half out of the 24 people that have that have commented on that so if you would totally come out in person to uh to houston there's the the link to luis's completely unofficial little twitter poll yeah, yeah uh because mark uh, takata had mentioned there as a comment that adobe you'd mentioned this earlier adobe has a hard stop on any and all travel until 2022 so yeah so yeah didn't want to call him out by name but that's okay you did it so. I did. I just called him. Oh, he said it on Twitter publicly. So yeah, I know. But <laughs> still, this podcast reaches so many more people than Twitter. Brad, come on. <laughs> and if you want any more uh, conferences, I'm sharing the link for comps.tech, which has lots of great content information for all these different conferences in all these different languages. So, yep. And Will said, as long as travel from Europe is not allowed, it is not back to normal. That's what he said. So, yep. I mean. It's, I know. I'm totally like missing CF Camp. I'm bummed. I know. I mean, seriously, like I was actually planning. I'd even talk to my, my wife. We we're 
booking stuff or thinking about booking. Yeah. And then it was coming. You had happens. said you were going to go to the next CF camp. It was going to happen. And then I know. Cause I keep talking about it and talking about it. And I'm finally like, yep, we're going to do it. I've, I've figured it out. And then, nope. Sorry. Oh, went. yeah. I mean, went sideways. That's the reason it happens. Just CF keep camp me out of pulls your... from, well, yeah. CF camp pulls from so many different countries. Um, it's really going to take a while probably to be able to have travel be open from everywhere they need to, but yeah. Yep, for sure. But hopefully soon. Anyway, so we'll be online for sure in September. And we'll do the call for speakers soon. I know that we're just we just keep waiting and waiting, hoping for the best. So anyways. Okay. Well let's talk about some blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So first up we have one from Pete Freitag. And this one here is basically just a, a little update because I think May first, um TLS one point three uh, is now the the supported standard so 1.2 1.1 1.0 have all sort of been killed off and so if you want java version supporting it this is the place to look so java 8 tls 1.3 support is for 8u 261b12 or greater and so basically have something since july 14th and for java 11 uh, it looks like um at least 11.08 so on that note, I, I think in the Lucy 5.3.8 release, there's a ticket uh, related to adding support for TLS 1.3. I don't know mm. what that means as far as what that took inside the Lucy source code, but I, the, the TLS 1.3 jogged my memory on that. So anyway, if you're using Lucy and you have any problems with that, it might be worth noting that the 5.3.8 release has some tickets in regards to that. Cool, cool. We have a video from Fusion Reactor on the Fusion Reactor dashboard. So if you want to find out a little bit more about Fusion Reactor and how it works, they've got a video on their site. Latest blog post from them. Nice. And then now we get into the Ben Adel show. So he's got a couple <laughs> different series this week. So we'll we'll get started with this. I make fun, but he, I would like Ben's content. It's always got something interesting in you. Okay, so in this one here, he's talking about creating page breaks in CF documents without using CF document item. For those of you that don't know, if you use the CF document tag, usually it basically just creates you know a big page. And if you wanted to break content into separate pages, you would usually use a CF document item uh, and the type of page break. And that just basically separates the content out for you. And the previous blog post that we'll talk about later, because we do it in reverse order, uh, he talks about trying to optimize the, the PDF document because in Envision they generate tons and tons of PDFs. And so what he's trying to do there is he's actually compiling all the, the HTML separately, and then he basically reads it into, into the PDF document as one big thing. So he's not building it on the fly. So therefore, document tags, you can't add this CF document item tag in the middle of it because he's building HTML. So what he's done is actually uses uh, some CSS. So page the irony is before. I think the, I think the CF document item tags just add like textual placeholders that the PDF library looks for. Oh, really? I'm not one, I'm not 1000% sure on that. Um, see, I was aware of this uh, CSS workaround, but only because Scott Steinbeck had, uh, had used it in the Gitbook exporter module we wrote. Um, we had unrelated issues with CF document item due to some Lucy bugs that I think have been fixed since then. And um, instead, we did all our page breaks with the, the CSS stuff. Um, we did page numbers. We did all kinds of crazy stuff with CSS. Um, yeah, you can do a lot with it. It's kind of cool. Yeah, the, the, the version of the um, Flying Saucer PDF that Lucy 5.3 started including um, has really good support for some of these crazy 
um, CSS based attributes, which is super handy for doing fancy schmancy PDF stuff. Yep. And so glad so, to see Ben blog this. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty neat. And yeah, I had used it before for a similar issue. Um, just because, yeah, you can't always know exactly when to shove a CF document item into something. So in his one, he just had a, basically put a class on a div that he always wanted on a new page, and that worked. Mm-hmm. So next up from Ben, we have another CF content one, and he found some new features. Did you know about these ones, Brad? So uh, Probably. I don't know. I haven't read this post yet. So CF save content. He was basically... Oh, yeah, I saw this. Um, you know, I don't know if I knew about those. Yeah, I so, saw this the other day. So he was going to add a file attribute. So if you do CF save content, it can output it to a file. And then when he was doing that, he pulled up the docs and found out that they also have a trim option mm-hmm. and an append. And the trim one makes sense, just gets rid of any space before and after, no big deal. But the append one was kind of interesting. So basically, it'll just keep adding to the same variable. So if they have the same variable, you know, in the example he has, he has save content variable data. And so he has a line line of code and the next save content is another line of code and he just keeps append equals true onto it and basically he outputs a, a poem one line at a time and so i was thinking okay. this might be kind of neat when you're reading lines from a java line reader or something you know something like that where you're basically bringing in something in from a buffer or or whatnot um i mean interesting idea yeah, yeah just a lot of people use cf save content because if you just do string concatenation which is what we first think of as you know cold fusion developers um, a lot of string concatenation inside of a loop can use tons of memory and can be slow. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know if I knew about these features, but I know I've never used them. So um, put that in the category of cool little stuff that uh, that Lucy does that I'm pretty certain um, Adobe doesn't do. Let's actually see if CF Docs even lists those arguments. Nope. So CF Docs actually doesn't even show those Lucy specific t- uh, attributes. We had something on the last show I found was the same thing. So you're looking to submit a pull request to uh, CF Docs. That page right there needs updated with <laughs> those attributes right there. Yep. Boom. Go do it. Who can submit that pull first? Yep, for sure. It, I, I use CF Docs primarily, but I always keep the Lucy Docs on speed dial because there's quite a few little things like that, little fancy features that have snuck into Lucy that haven't necessarily been added to CF docs. Now so. the, the Lucy docs are generated off of the actual uh, CFCs themselves, right? Mm, or well, the, it's not a CFC oh, first or, of all. Um, well, yeah. In, internally, there's a giant FLD file, which is basically XML, which is used to define most of the built-in tags and functions. Um, the Lucy docs were originally generated off of that I'm a little confused on how it works because the the Lucy docs diverged a bit from the the comments and the descriptions inside the FLD files, which is what you see in like error messages and things. Mm-hmm. And I'm, Zach Spitzer could probably answer this fairly easily. I'm not sure. I think there's some process he has to be able to merge in new, like missing functions from the Lucy source code. Uh, once they're merged in, I don't know if they get updated because um, gotcha. they're stored separately in Markdown files. But, but you are correct that the initial import into the Lucy docs did come from the actual Lucy source code. Um, and But now it all lives in Markdown files in, in the repo. Very similar to, well, not that similar. Somewhat similar to CF docs, which is more JSON. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So next up, uh, we have a blog post from Adam Cameron. So in this one here, he's trying to get MariaDB working with ColdFusion 2021. 
And as he says, for the life of me, he couldn't find this information anywhere or in the docs. Um, he couldn't find it on Google either. So basically he figured out from Lucy, uh, docs and some other places how to set that up. So he's got a, a nice blog post walking that through. So if you're using 2021 and you want to see how to get the JDBC driver for MariaDB working, uh, you can go ahead and check out that blog post from Adam Cameron. Okay. Next up, we have a blog from Ray Camden, and this one is actually one of his Vue.js articles, but I thought it was pretty relevant because I know a lot of us ColdFusion developers use Vue. So, and I'm biased. I think it's kind of interesting. So this one's kind of, uh, you know, something different. And a lot of people with front-end applications, you know, you work on stuff, change all these variables, and, you know, it's really hard to get a shortcut deep into the, into the actual... Um, the certs that you're working on. And so this one here, he talks about updating and supporting URL parameters with Vue.js. And so basically he uses another little library in here from what I can tell from the source code, um, Vue URL, uh, sorry, uh, maybe that's his actual hard-coded file. Anyway, the, the long story short is that, you know, basically anytime you change the, the query parameter or a search parameter filter, it basically mirrors them so that way if you start typing a search in your search box it'll update the url so at any point in time you copy paste that url for somebody they'll be able to jump back into the app to the same basically point in time that you were looking at there so basically deep linking yep deep linking storing the state right in there and it's not actually you know it's all inside the client so it's usually a little harder to do so uh, but yeah he works through it you know, my nice. main takeaway is if these are all like real people and animals that he knows, and if so, does he really have a cat named Pig? Hmm. That's my takeaway. Yep. Well, Ray Camden, you would never know. I guess you'll have to ask him. If if it was named like a Star Wars name, I'd be like, definitely, hundred percent, has to be for real. But he knows. Yep. So another front end related one from Benny Dell. Um, He's basically using something that Angular has been doing for years to try and make his ColdFusion code look a little bit cleaner. So I don't know if your code looks like this or not, Brad, but um, basically, you know, if you've got classes, you're looping through a list of something and, you know, basically um, you might have something where you have a class and then basically throw on a whole bunch of other things like if the scheduled day is an active deployment, then have this class on it. Otherwise, have that class. Uh, if it's you know if it's yeah, today, have this little, class, that class. Inline if on your styles. Yeah, and basically have a big old miss. But like Vue like, and yeah, Angular, yeah, he has like a really really complicated one. Yeah, so but like Vue and Angular and stuff, a lot of them have basically like an ng class or you know a colon class, and then inside of that, you can basically have like a little structure, and depending on okay, variable so- settings. The key of the structure is the class you want to apply, and the value is a boolean, which turns it on and off. Yeah, or I, it's probably an, it's probably an expression that evaluates to a boolean. Yep, that's nice. Now, to be fair, he could have put line breaks in his first example, right? He could and have. He wrote that all on one line to make a bit of a point, but I mean, it didn't have to be on one line, did it? Yeah. 
that's, I, that's I could still... be wrong. I assume a class attribute. I mean, it's, it's, I know it's just a bit of a straw man to be like, you know, you know, those like made for TV commercials. And they're like, do you hate organizing your pantry? And it shows this like little kind of straw man video of like black and white and some idiot that's like, the can won't go on the shelf. You know, use our new product. And then all of a sudden it's like full color. Um, I mean, the previous version didn't have to be that bad, but I yeah. get it. It's <laughs> yeah, no, I get what you're saying too. So, and so this one here, you have an ng class, and you have a struct, and like you said, spread out that way. And so what he's basically doing is he created a new function called encode class attribute. And so what he's doing there is nice. calling that and passing in an array, and you know, well, All right. So he basically mimics the uh, you know he mimics the syntax, but just with a nice little cool fusion wrapper. Yep, and then he's got the code to do it, and loops through it, and yeah, and he has an is truthy, and he actually created a function is truthy, and then it created a function for is falsy, Wait. so it could be the opposite. He created a function called is truthy. I'm curious what it does and how it's different than Cold Fusion's if statement. Well, so basically, truthy is not is falsy, and so is falsy if it's null, it returns false. Which does that happen in Cold Fusion? Oh, so he's he's expanding truthy and falsy on top of what CFML does. Yep. I see. So null is... Null is false. Falsy. Wait, is it though? I'm reading his is... Oh, I'm reading his is falsy one. Yeah, so Ugh, that... I hate it when people use negative logic. It's truthy. Um, I would have created it. I would have created as truthy and then I would have made falsy to simply be not as truthy. Um, because then you end up with double <laughs> negatives, which I really hate. So his function is as falsy. So null is falsy not a simple value is not falsy, which this is why you don't do negative logic. Meaning if it is a simple value, then it's truthy. Yeah, I, that's weird. I'm not following that. This is really confusing. And then if it's a Boolean and it's not numeric, oh, if it's a Boolean or it's not numeric, then return the value. The opposite. Ah, oh, you're making my head hurt, Ben. Don't do negative logic. It's like, it's like a grammar Nazi. Everything's not, not, maybe not, sometimes, doesn't, always. That's what this function is. Long um, story short, it makes it work. So that code would in generate the classes you want. Uh, basically, you know, nice and easy. And again, it's up to you. I mean, this is a, a nice little clean wrapper that Ben designed. You know, it's kind of nice. But as you mentioned, if you'd put the cold fusion on separate lines, you could have the class that it was always there on one line and all these cold fusion lines underneath, and it wouldn't be terrible. But it's just different. So, but yeah, just again, you know, a lot of things you can see elsewhere, you can build it in ColdFusion, you can apply it, and kind of a cool little, you know, thought experiment. That's what I like about most of them. They're sort of just different ways to attack the same problem and makes me think. I'm about surprised some of my stuff. to use the CF loop tag and he didn't just filter and, uh, and reduce the array directly. Hmm. As, as hardcore as Ben is into the, the typical JavaScript uh, functional programming, I'm a little surprised to see the CF loop tag here. Now, he does have the nice, you know, script-based syntax of it, which, of course, yeah. is kind of cool. Yep. Okay. So the next one up, um, Ben is talking about using source file and CF document item in the same doc. And so this one here is basically the the pre uh, the pre-blog post using you know safe content generating lots of pdfs and so what they want to do is generate the html by itself and then use the cf document item essentially for the header you know so uh he's working through you know sort of combining them so um 
the body itself would be rendered into a, you know, rendered from a variable. And then as you loop through, you can actually, you know, use docking items for some of it and then dump out some of the source as well. So it was kind of nice, uh, but basically he's mixing up. And as he said, he's not sure if it actually helps the resource consumption at this point, but uh, he's sort of working through that process. So, um, But a lot of times I'll do that too, where a lot of the templated stuff, any of the title pages or headers, I'll try and pre-generate that into a PDF and then just include the PDF inside my other PDF, because you can do that. And then that way you're not regenerating each HTML over and over. Because I'm assuming on a 100-page document or whatever, that can add up pretty quick. Interesting. So this was something I thought was pretty interesting too. His next one, validating and documenting complex object structures with CF Param and Lucy. So this is something I was thinking, I wonder if Brad's tried this. Um... Or this is something you No, I was worried you could do it. I've never necessarily done it like he does it, but it's kind of interesting. I mean, honestly, if I wanted like a, a robust validation solution in my Cofusion apps, I would use CB validation, which I would just drop into my Goldbox framework and I could probably use it. But this is a kind of a cool little bare bones thing, just using CF Pram. Because, you know, a lot of people, myself included, is typically use CF param purely just to create default values, yep. you know, if the variable doesn't exist. But one kind of pretty cool thing about CF param is you can also say it has to be this type as well, which saves, you know, you actually write in an if statement about it. Um, and so, yeah, he just has a bunch of params where he just drills down and hits all the keys of a struct and says, this has to be numeric, this has to be a string, this has to be a date. Um, and yep. he sort of, you know, just builds out the entire structure of what needs to exist. Uh, now, this is where the Java developers would kind of point and laugh at us. And they'd be like, you silly Confusion developers, this is why we have classes and objects with built-in members that have types, and you don't pass individual little structs and vague arrays. You pass magical objects. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's a cool, nice little trick. Yeah, so that was just kind of neat. Basically, it gives you a nice error um you know so yeah and he just I'll, mentioned I'll he doesn't be... do this all the time he does <laughs> to be clear you know but it's something he does do sometimes and it, it's self-documenting it, it would probably depend on like if this is an api other developers were using because i'll be honest most of the time i write a function that accepts like an array of structs where each struct is expected to have these keys I kind of just assume it's going to be there. And I'm like, well, if you leave a key out, it's going to blow up, you loser. Right. Um, I don't typically always go through the effort of validating that. You know, I'll just put a big like comment at the top of the function. It's like, hey, idiots calling this function. Make sure you pass the data in like this because I'm just going to assume it's right. Um, I don't typically go out of my way unless I'm feeling rather generous. Or maybe I'm doing something that's like an actual part of the cold box framework and you want to help, you know, guide them. Um, Because, yeah, it's... I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'll just let a runtime exception tell them that they did it wrong. <laughs> but this yeah. is probably definitely a better experience to be able to say explicitly, you left off the name parameter, which needs to be a string. You know? Yep. Exactly. So it's blowing up saying name doesn't exist. Then you're like, okay. Yeah. And you add it. Like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's not the right that's thing. The, the, the poor man's validation. Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, CB validation allows you to, to store similar types of things in a struct uh, format. And um, yeah. You can reuse it. Yeah, yeah. If I want to do anything hardcore, I drop in CB validation. But it's it's good to remember what the language does by itself. 
Yep. And as Vil said, uh, he doesn't like CF Pran because it can't validate integers, only numeric, because it uses mm. confusion types, which, yeah, yeah integer so is you, not a type. If you wanted to reject a decimal explicitly, all we have is just a numeric. Yep. Good point, Phil. Okay. So up next, we have a little blog post from Charlie, um, basically just reiterating the price change on the Adobe CF certification. But the reason we included it as well as what we had in the news is that um, there's information too about why it's the certification is useful, what the training covers and everything. So the CFLI podcast and has a transcript um, basically talking about it when it first came out, what's included, what topics, etc. So if you want to learn a little bit more about it, um, you can also check out this here. Um, basically the, the quality and everything else about the program. So anyway, so if you want to find out a little bit more about it, this blog post sort of gives you a few links to be able to do that. So um, I definitely think that's worth doing. And we were actually TAs on that uh, at CF Summit in 2019. And it was, a, a good, that was a good crazy day. Yeah. So we helped Nolan uh, TA that. There was quite a few people. They had over 100 people that day doing the, the workshop. And I yeah, think it was huge. Yeah. I mean, the workshop went really well. What didn't go well was the internet when 150 people all tried to download like 100 megs worth of assets and we were running around with USB sticks. Uh, yeah, that was, yeah. That was a good day. Yep. Lots of fun. Yeah. The good old days when you actually had in person stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to remember back when. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, too funny. Okay, well, that wraps up our jobs. blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So, yeah, let's talk about jobs. So, uh, right now, get CFML jobs has over 120 positions since December. Uh, although last week, uh, there were a whole bunch of uh, the same job shown in multiple places. So, I don't know if oh, it really they probably counts. posted it in multiple cities. Yeah, so this was a remote LATAM and a whole bunch of different <laughs> spots. Yeah, you can tell it's, it's the exact same job description, but with a different city name in it. Yeah, but there are four yeah. new ones. So we got a Cold Vision developer with four to six years of experience in Mumbai and Bangalore, India. We have a Sumcourt Insurance in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia for a Cold Vision developer. We got a Cold Vision developer in Vancouver, BC, and another Vancouver. one in, in Connecticut, India. So a bit of bit all over the place this week but i wonder if i know what company the one in vancouver is from and then we have the cold fusion developer if you have secret clearance at gently virginia secret so. clearance we could tell you what this job is but we'd have to kill you yep so there's some good content there um if you're looking for a job that's a great place to start get cfmiljobs.com and you can actually post your company stuff there um and that also does scrape some of the other big job sites out there so you may want to look at that, but I think the latest one just popped up since I did the show notes. Whoops. So anyway, um, more good stuff there. So if you're looking for a job, good place to go. Okay. Next up, our Forgebox module of the week. So this week we're actually doing one by Matthew Clemente because he's always got something else to do. He never gets bored. Facebook conversions. Is this new? It's just been around for a while. Yeah, it's a new one. So this is uh, just released oh, yeah. April 29th. So it's Facebook conversions. And so basically it's a CFML wrapper for those Facebook conversions API. And so what it allows you to do is basically, and the only method it has is to basically send events to Facebook. So what you can do is send it through the conversions API uh, and you can send a Facebook event 
You just send the name, the source, the user URL. I mean, the email. What is phone. the Facebook conversion API? Because I I've missed the boat on what the crap that means. So that works with the like, the pixel ID. So you know the Facebook conversions where they retrack you and everything else. So you, you mean have conversions the, in the context of like sales, like if yeah, you convert a sale. Yeah. So oh, so this is like tracking revenue that you get based on like Facebook ads or something. Yeah. Well, it's you can use the Facebook pixel um, on your site. And then when people go there, it tracks that they were there. And then basically as they go to Facebook, you can retarget them with Facebook ads oh, saying, you know, so you, dirty, when you go to Amazon, third party cookies, this is why yeah. you have to accept those little dirty third party cookies. Yeah. That's stuff that's like tricky. that. So I didn't even realize Facebook had the service. Oh yeah. The Facebook so pixel is big. Yeah. Like who in the universe, literally, literally the last human I know who's not a child who doesn't have a Facebook account signed up for one last week. So oh. I literally don't know that I know any adult humans without a Facebook account. So guess what you have on your browsers, people? You have cookies, cookies from the facebook.com domain. And yeah. wherever you go, ooh, Facebook pixel, that can be, have access. And that, that site may not know who you are, but Facebook does. Yeah. Creepy, creepy. And that's, that's pretty a, cool then. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, everyone hates advertising, but I'd much prefer to have advertising that I want. You know, like if I actually go to a site and I'm looking for something and if I'm on Facebook, and I'm going to see an ad, I'd rather see something that I actually might want than just random crap I don't want or even worse, inappropriate stuff I don't want to see. So, you know, like what everyone hates it. What I was when I get ads for something I've already purchased. Yeah, I, that, that my too. wife got a little <laughs> like batting thing to help my daughter learn how to bat better in softball. And I went and watched the little intro video and then started getting ads all over Facebook. I'm like, I already have it. I purchased it. I'm a customer. And it doesn't matter. They, yeah. I've been tagged by the Facebook conversion pixel of doom. Anyway, so to see those ads for years. Yeah. A lot of them, have, a lot of people I know have left as James Moberg said that people on Facebook, they're just, they're sick of it. All the, everything anyway uh, we'll get into that political nightmare yeah i love and hate it it's like i would leave if i wasn't so darn lazy <laughs> yeah i, I keep it because i have some family that are, live far away that i still want to keep up to date with and it's the easiest way to keep up with yeah exactly yeah it is like That's the it. only contact i have with a lot of family which is why it, it, one of the things that keeps me from just getting rid of my account but yeah all right well that's okay. cool Yep. So next up, nice work on that new little module. Yeah. So next up, we have something here, and this is for people like me that are just terrible with accented characters. So this is actually one that James Moberg recommended in his list of extensions that he uses. So the accented characters. Yeah. So accented character converter or replacer. And so basically, when you're typing and you have uh, all these different accents and you throw them into your into your site. And you don't know what all the characters actually are, so you can't use the HTML replacement. So it'll just allow you to replace all those special characters. Um, and so, you know, obviously, if you're working with uh, different languages, the a lot of times they'll have all these different uh, accents that I'm not aware of what they are, what they mean, what they do, and I can't even type half of them when I am trying to use them. So I'm terrible at that. But this will just let you basically, you know, replace them with the appropriate um, character. H so the HTML escape. That's nice. Um, yeah. And it's kind of cool that they actually list all the ones they do support as well. So this would be kind of nice if you're building a CMS or something that we need to look at these characters and convert them so we don't have those weird things popping up, you know, from the database. And Does know. it say if it works on paste as well as typing? Um, I'm not sure. It's a pretty new extension. Would, it's only had 8,000 installs. So. 
But they're actually looking when I scroll to the bottom. Sorry, everybody, that I'm scrolling so fast. But oh, I'm getting dizzy. But they're talking about being able to just replace stuff by text and selections and whatever. So there's a few options on it um, right Ooh, now. It has like the little trademark. So does it do word smart quotes? That's what everybody wants to know. Yeah, that's that is a good question. I'm not sure like, about that one. I know the there's most, actually there's another the extension. Most common James has. annoying Unicode character that sneaks into your source code. Oh my gosh, is when you copy and paste from that word doc that the marketing team sent you. And it has those idiotic little word smart quotes. And then next thing you know, the bombs not set in your file or the file encoding screwed up. And you're like, Oh no, why do we have weird question marks on the homepage of our website? It's the word smart quotes. And you know, the funny thing is ever happened to me before, but it does happen uh, quite a lot. I do understand (laughs) that. I've seen it before, but the other thing I've noticed too, is when you copy code into Slack and you paste it out of Slack, Slack also does weird stuff with your, your code sometimes with quotes. Oh, really? Yeah. I've noticed that. I don't know if they fixed it recently, but we used to use them for workshops and I would copy and paste code into Slack. And so Mm -hmm. often it would come out and it would break someone's code because of some character. And it was me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, I've, I've run into that a few times. So you you copy and paste a bit of code, and they're like, "I'm getting a syntax error, and it looks perfect, but it's got yeah a quote or a backtick or something got you know fiddled with." Yeah, and so for that, uh, James Moberg has auto hotkey snippet to sanitize smart quotes. That's so nice. Has, I like so that. Yeah. So that Can is you, another pain point. We'll have to add that to the list for next time. James, maybe. is th- is that in VS Code that you had that? If so, you should. Send us a link to how, where that's defined, and that can be our tip and trick next He week. actually had a blog post of all his extensions, so I actually have oh. that at the bottom of my list of VS Code things, and quite often I'll go through it and grab some. So, yeah. There you go. So, that, let's say a lot of the ones we've been using lately are some from, from James, because he's got a whole bunch that I've never even heard of before. So, But that was our VS Code hint, tip and trick of the week, and I didn't change the screen. Whoops. But anyways, um, so yeah. So thanks, James, for recommending that one. Okay, so next up, we have our Patreon supporters. And I know you mentioned Will or Vil last week, um, but he's our latest Patreon supporter, and we didn't spotlight him enough, I don't think. So uh, it did take an extra week, I think, to get him up on the website because we're a little behind on our marketing stuff, so we apologize. Yeah, I, I see we have how to pronounce his name written out here in the show notes. He actually sent me uh, a Ruhain. website. Was, yeah, so it's Vil de Bruin. And that's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than Bruin, like I kept saying before. So yeah, I've, I've listened to the video Bruin. a couple of times, Bill, and I'm I'm still not doing it right, but I'm bitter. Wait, so, he sent you a video to show how to pronounce it? Oh, he sent me this site, um, and Fova, I think it is. It's basically, and it, there's a Dutch pronunciation of his name. And he said I'm close, so that's bitter, but... So yeah, let me, I'll find it too, and I'll share that. So for everybody out there, we'll share you the link and how you say his last name. Nice. Uh, Wait, so is this Dutch surname that means the brown? One of his ancestors apparently had brown hair, according to Wikipedia. Nice. I don't know, but yeah. So uh, with that Wikipedia being said, have a pronunciation. yeah. So he's one of our patron supporters, and now we're up to 37 patron supporters, thanks to deville and so these oh, individuals I, I are... see an alternate spelling b-r-u-i-j-n oh that makes a bit more sense pro- the the without the j is probably a simplified spelling is my guess yeah see i'm learning new stuff every day this is my new thing for the day 
Yep. So these individuals are personally supporting our open source initiatives like Command Box, Forge Box, Toolbox, uh, Toolbox, Coldbox, Contentbox, Testbox. <laughs> toolbox isn't there, but it should be. Um, but anyway, uh, obviously, our cloud infrastructure, Forge Box, you know, all the package management stuff that you know is done with Command Box. So they're doing a lot of great things and helping us with a lot of things, including this podcast. But so if you're a bronze package or an up now, you get a Forgebox Pro and a CFcast subscription as a perk for being your Patreon, uh, for your Patreon subscription. Yay. If you're any other level, so lower level than bronze, uh, well, actually all levels, uh, you will also get a profile badge on the Autos community website. And you also have a, your own private forum access on the community website too. So there's some little perks for being a Patreon uh, supporter for us, thanking you for thanking us and supporting us. So, And if you become a diamond supporter, we just give you the keys to orders. <laughs> yeah, so then you can uh, help with all the pull requests and <laughs> documentation updates. And <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're like, wait a minute, what? Anyway, so let's go through and uh, thank our Patreon supporters. So thanks Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Bellinger, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jonathan Perret, Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, John Wilson from Synaptrix, Yogesh Mathur, Joseph Lamery, Ben Nadell, Brett DeLine, Calvin Stenton, Charlie Earhart, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, Didielis Nicky, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, Laxma Tirahari, Leon Ceramelis, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinberg, Stephanie Monji, Stephen Klotz, and Ville de Bruyne. Did I say it right again? I, I'm still going to mess it up, but getting closer so uh but we do thank you bill he's a you know not only is he a patron supporter but uh he helps a lot with a lot of projects uh and pull requests and documentation like a lot of our other supporters do so not only financial supporters they're just good oldest community members as well so we thank each and all of you and uh especially our patreon supporters so i know that uh yeah we couldn't do it without you guys and we're we're grateful that we can continue doing this every week because this is helping us keep up on the news, right, Brad? Because sometimes these blog posts go flying by, these tweets, and uh, it keeps us up to date. Oh, yeah. Who has time to sit and watch Twitter? So we'll do it for you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> we'll let okay. you know if you've missed anything. Yep, so very cool. Appreciate everybody. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. And uh, don't forget, there's a couple of conferences going on this week. So uh, go check those out, and we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.